he was had beautiful clothes, but he would always wore a jacket and kept it on. Like he wasn't slovenly like you know the science teacher had his shirt and tucked and make an effort, science teacher. Come on. Science teachers never made an effort. <laughs> Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer people get vaccinated because we've already been through one plague, and no, we will not be swayed by your under-rehearsed, poorly-lit, ill-informed, anti-vax op-ed TikTok, boo, and you can take all those hyphenated words to the bank. That's right, every episode I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. We're back. It's been two weeks as per usual with season two. Did you get that uh, lusting in your loins? Did you miss us? Did you miss me? Well, here I am, baby. I saw Shang-Chi this week. I was nervous because I know very little about the Marvel Universe uh, and I was afraid that I would not know what the hell was going on and I would miss all the references. It's like starting a soap opera halfway through a series run where they're just like, you've got the nerve to walk in here and say that after what you did to Becky at the rehearsal for the Miss Universe pageant at the Orlando Howard Johnson. And I'm like, huh? But it actually wasn't that bad. So, I mean, of course, let's let's front load this with Simone Liu and Aquafina are hot, 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 wonderful together, gorgeous people. Simone Liu, let's let's get a coffee. Let's start with the coffee and we'll go from there. Aquafina does not miss a single word that could become a punchline. She is on fire for the entire film. Michelle Yao reminds us that she is previously and currently running the world in a lot of capacities, really. It is all great. And then suddenly Ben Kingsley appears as sort of a, an out-of-work Elizabethan actor, and the whole thing for me starts to go a little bit sideways. That I did not understand. That's a reference I didn't understand, but that's on me because I didn't do my homework. If you know what he's doing in that film, great. Good for you. Maybe let me know at some point. But in the meantime, you'll be able to enjoy that whole series of plot points that I quite frankly, didn't understand. But in conclusion, why not go see it? I'm going to give it, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting a review system right now, four and a half cues out of how many? I'm not sure. Maybe I'll tell you on next week's episode. But in the meantime, let's get to today's guest. My guest today is Miss Joanna DeWitt, aka Brian Cope. I am so excited about this conversation in this episode. I loved talking to Miss DeWitt, and I think you're going to love the conversation. The references are great. They are very funny. The names of the characters in this story alone, if we just listed the names, you would get your money's worth, which is nothing because this is a podcast and it's free. Shall we learn more about Miss DeWitt? 
In a previous life, Miss Joanna DeWitt was hostage to lawyers, accountants, and bank towers. I did not write this copy, but it's fantastic. Cut to a few years ago, when their creative career began via the Buddies in Bad Times Youth Elders Project. We love Buddies in Bad Times, iconic queer space and theater in Toronto. I digress. They followed that with a performance called Motherlode at the 39th Rhubarb Festival. And the rest is... Herstory, Miss DeWitt, also stars in the second season of documentary TV series Drag Heels, which you can watch now on Prime Video and OutTV. Please don't watch it right now. Please listen to this episode first and then go watch it later. Joanna says she and alter ego Brian Cope are so integrated that they consider themselves more of a gender performer than a drag performer. Singular, iconic, very Miss DeWitt, very Brian Cope. I think you're going to understand why once you've heard this conversation. And I hope you love it as much as I loved talking to my guest. A quick note about this episode. The audio is not great. Okay, the audio is not great. Is that Miss DeWitt's fault? No. Is that my fault? Mm, I also want to say no. Why? Because I am your host. I am your producer. I am your... Uh, sonic boom of a voiceover artist i am not your sound engineer i am by that i mean i do the sound engineering but it's not my my passion and i learned how to do it for you because i'm a giver and i care but you know there are limitations to the magic i can work mr wit had a very specific microphone blah 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 anyway here we are listen it's worth it some things in life you have to work for and maybe listening to parts of this audio will be hard to understand and you have to work for it. Do you want an easy ride through life? Okay, great. Go pick up your valet Mazda 3 and drive off into the sunset. But for the rest of us, the dedicated, the slow moving, this is, I think I'm starting to quote the Bible. This might be the Beatitudes at some point and I apologize. Listen, the point is it's worth it. You're gonna enjoy it, so treat yourself. And without further ado, let me present my wonderful conversation with the one, the only, Miss Joanna DeWitt. You made me quit. You, you know, you've already outdone me because I've got this garbage backdrop and you look like a star. Well, how do you know I am a star? I know, I, I know this and I know you know this and I'm glad you know this. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing? I'm well. I'm excited to do this interview with you. Me too. I met somebody through another connection, well, just last week, and blah, 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 what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing this. He said, oh my God, my boyfriend is successful. <gasps> no, who is it? Brandon, the comedian. Oh, Ash Muhammad. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, isn't the world kind of small? Such a small place, especially, you know, here in Toronto, which is a big city, the biggest city in Canada, and still feels like a town sometimes, huh? Well, I came here after university, and I think of this as my home, uh, and I never found Toronto to be a cold or difficult place, ah. but I think some of that is me, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're saying, I guess in a way you see what you want to see. Perception is everything, Trevor. <laughs> and that's why you need a glittery backdrop. I don't know any other way. <laughs> I, I like that. And I like that about drag, too. I mean, you you know, impressions and perception, and you get to steer that visual narrative. So why not have some fun with it? Have some style. Yeah, I don't think a drag, per se, always has to be glittery. 
but uh, I think drag is a, a freedom to represent how one wants to. So even if it's you know overalls in the plaid shirt, yes, or, or a ball gown. Yeah, it's it's true. It's an opportunity to to extend your identity. I like, but I think I cut you off. I think you were about to tell me something after I said Toronto feels like a small town sometimes. I think we segued into my background. Yeah, um, I came to Toronto after university, and the first year I was here, there was a gathering that used to be called the Sheraton Center across from. Uh, City Hall, mm-hmm. and it was for people from Kirkland Lake, which is where I was born. Kirkland Lake? Yeah, there were something like 6,000 people there <laughs> wow. from Kirkland Lake. In Toronto? Well, at that time, which is many years ago. But what like what percentage of that was the population of Kirkland Lake? That must, sounds like it's probably Oh my everywhere. God, about 300% of the modern <laughs> <Seriously>? Kirkland Lake. <laughs> like modern Kirkland Lake is just a memory. Yeah. You know, it was a big, maybe you know, it was a big gold mining town. And all the gold's taken out. All the gold. And I lived in a very small town called Sulakout, uh, under 2,000 people, probably under 1,200 today. Wow. But I met men in Toronto, dare I say, gay men where gay men meet. Ooh. We're from Sulacout, and I lived in Sudbury uh, for quite a period of time, and I met many, many people from Sudbury here. Toronto is, you know, there's some established people here with a little bit of (laughs) an attitude, maybe, but but Toronto is a collection of stars and ragamuffins and people who came here because it was the big city. I think that's what's nice. I mean, sure, the problem with cities well with other places you could argue is yes it attracts people with money and it creates qu- quite an upper class but you're right is it attracts everyone too it attracts artists and you know your term ragamuffins and you get all sorts here especially toronto which is the most diverse city in the world as far as sort of uh, racial backgrounds or countries of origin i haven't traveled everywhere i was impressed with london england Mm -hmm. being very multiracial but i think toronto is still held on to that and oh yeah it's one of the things that i love about toronto there used to be, a, I think they called it around the world, so it happened in the summer, and it was similar to the taste festivals that yeah. happen these days, but uh, they actually issued a passport, <laughs> so if you went to a Budapest restaurant, you got a stamp, a Budapest restaurant, and if you went to an Italian, you got a stamp. And I had some very good friends then, and every year we uh, ate our way around Toronto. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you oh, were great. incapacitated for three days? Well, yeah. Then, Well, it went on for like 10 days. Oh, you God. didn't have to eat it all in one weekend. Okay, good. You, got, you need to pace yourself. You're not going straight to the hospital. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. There's only so much sour cream and creme brulee one can eat. I mean, you say that, but don't tell me to stop. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun. Okay, so you've always, you were drawn to the variety. I didn't know how diverse Toronto was. I graduated from Carleton in 1969. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's imperative as an elder gay person to remind people as young as you. (laughs) You you flatter me, but I'm not so young, but keep going. Homosexuality was a criminal act in the psychiatric disorder when I 
graduated from university. Isn't that wild? And I do a performance piece called Victory in which I reference that. And I knew exactly what that was about. And I wasn't going to jail and I wasn't going to be considered psychiatrically ill. I mean, the oppression trevor yeah. is mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I was born in 1983, so I, in a Catholic household, so I grew up sort of under my own shadows, but I cannot, I mean, even me growing up, I couldn't imagine a future for myself. You know, gay marriage was not legalized. I I really didn't know what would become of me, but growing up in in that kind of culture where, you know, it was a psychiatric disorder. I, I mean, how do you, how can you imagine a future of being you? That's really tough. I couldn't. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very transparent about all of this stuff. I buried it mm. and I denied it. And I thought if I just am with women, this will go away and convinced myself it did. Yeah. I also became a substance abuser. I'm not the only person who had to bury their truth and turn to other uh, tools to alleviate pain. Oh, 100%. And actually, I think that's the perfect segue. So I'm going to snatch it right now. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot that had to be buried, a lot of people who should have been buried, but got to keep talking on a microphone. But now, Brian, we are here. We are fabulous. We are stars. As you said, you are not only in front of a glittering backdrop, but what I've just realized now is on a glittering chair. So I want ah. to give you the, <laughs> the microphone you deserve. Uh, and why I've called you here today is I want to give you an opportunity to get some retribution under your belt so you can point the finger of blame back at who and or what Brian Cope, Miss Joanna DeWitt, made you queer. Well, I uh, will answer the question, but I don't want to disappoint you. I'm on a journey to avoid judging people in judging situations. <laughs> I, I like that. Well, I uh, fair enough. But I I know the name of this podcast, and it made <laughs> me think of some some things that maybe even people who know me well don't know. A husband of my piano teacher, <gasps> who I used to see when I was quite a young child, seven, eight, nine. I admired that man's body without even understanding. <laughs> I had no point of reference. He was muscled and toned and gorgeous. And I remember thinking that. I didn't think I wanted to be like him or anything, Mm -hmm. but that is one of my first recollections of admiring a body. And when would you see him just when, you know, he came to pick up his piano teaching wife? Well, no, we, we, no, no, we used to go, I went on picnics with him sometimes. He also had a dark side to him which I'm happy to talk about. He's one of my abusers, but uh, oh, God. and I don't, I don't think those things are linked. Uh-huh. I, and I've done lots of very important work in addressing that. Yeah. And it's why I can speak with it. But he is somebody I remember, but on a, on a totally crazy other way in grade nine, there were two things that I remember. I had a French kiss teacher, Mr. Saint-Francois. <laughs> what a name. Isn't that a, Nella, a, a Saint-Francois? <laughs> That's a mouthful, huh? Isn't it? <laughs> I I drooled over Mr. Saint-Francois. <laughs> he was, had beautiful clothes. He was, always wore a jacket and kept it on. Like he wasn't slovenly like 
you know, the science teacher had his shirt and untucked and make an effort, science teacher. Come on, science teachers never made an effort, <laughs> but Mr. Saint Francois did. And I am a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. I can't say I colored uh, the teacher with any negativity. I just I always wanted to be in the French class. I sat at the front front of the class. I was decent at French, but I sure thought he was amazing. But the other thing that I remember coming into this interview was Tom. Tom was a ginger boy, and I didn't know boys could have muscles, and Tom had muscles. Tom, he was the first sort of like, is this around puberty time, the first one to well, get muscles? Well, in grade nine, I was yeah. 14, 15. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know you could do something to make muscles. And clearly, I still don't. So if you know, please uh, tell me. But <laughs> I'm still looking. I heard you can do stuff. Uh, but anyway, I would see him in after gym, right? And we all they forced us all to be together and have showers. Oh, oh! And these are the old like sh- the multi shower uh, head where you all have to crowd around under. Everybody's together, and um, I was mortified. Except I always tried to glimpse at Tom. Uh-huh. The problem with Tom is that he dated Bunny. Bunny? Bunny. You're killing me with these names, Brian. This is the truth. And so Bunny was blonde. I I remember her very well. She wore plaid skirts that were too short. And she wore her sweaters buttoned up the back. Oh. Oh, my God. Angora sweaters buttoned up the back. Why button up the back? Isn't that the wrong way? It was the style. It was oh, the style. Okay. okay. The style. And I subsequently thought, well, I guess that'd be easier for a, a guy to reach around and undo the buttons oh. if they were at the back. I have no idea if that was the derivation of it. I see. So Tom dated Bunny, and actually, Tom married Bunny. Oh, okay. And many years later, when I was Somewhere else, I learned that Bunny had had a tragic death. And for a moment, my black humor said, that means Tom's available. Oh, my God. Now's your <laughs> chance. Now, hang on. Now that we know, uh, you know, Bunny's conclusion, I don't want to go back as much. But I am still curious about Bunny in high school. Was she sort of like head cheerleader type? She was head cheerleader. Okay. She was the girl you knew put out but you didn't you didn't make fun of her because you wanted her to put out the truth oh yeah i see and this was i mean probably not the most sex positive time anyway whereas now we might champion a girl like that so interestingly also in grade nine so i was going to get rid all in elementary school i was called fairy and pansy and faggot and and uh, living in small towns. Yeah. And in high school now, I'm in a medium-sized city of the day. I'm in Sudbury. I am going to, I am taking charge. And I invited a girl named Betty Ann. Yes. There were really Betty Ann's Archie comics. I guess. You do not disappoint. <laughs> Keep it coming with these. Okay, so Betty Ann, did she also Betty, button up her sweaters in the back? Oh, my God. She was provocative. <laughs> I thought she was the most beautiful girl in school. And I was still, I wasn't thinking, words like gay Trevor and homosexuality weren't even in the lexicon. Nobody used those words. If any words were used, it was faggot and clumsy. Right. It was just so, like, otherworldly and looked down upon. Really, really. And so I invited Betty Ann to the Christmas 
semi-formal in Bergman. Was there a theme, do you remember? Like under the sea or something? Oh, Winter Wonderland. Winter Wonderland. And Betty Ann, in those days, we bought corsages for our date. Mm-hmm. And we always had to check the color. That was the protocol. To match the dress, right? Yes. Yeah. And she told me she needed a wrist corsage. So wrist corsages, I don't know. I guess they still exist. They have an elastic band so that the girl could wear it on her wrist. And when we got to the high school and Betty Ann took off her dress, uh, off her coat. <laughs> well, she moves fast. She moves fast. <laughs> I, I, I was beyond myself. She, and I think this is amazing how clearly I remember this. She wore a dress with a red sequined bodice and a white chiffon skirt. There were no straps and no back on that dress. And that girl was 14 years old. Oh my God. I'm sure Betty Ann would have put out it, or maybe she would (laughs) But your eyes were on uh, the red-haired boy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess. I had no idea what to do with Betty Ann. Anyways, I thought it was like all the guys would be jealous of me. In fact, they all laughed. Because what kid in grade nine goes to the cemetery? Uh, I think that makes you cool. Because I went, I lived back and forth between Toronto and Ohio while I was growing up. So I got more of like a, the American high school experience, which is pretty semi-prom, junior prom, prom situation, sort of the same as you. So I had to buy a corsage for a date. And I remember seeing my gorgeous date and being really excited about that. But of course, never for a moment in my mind, even though I don't know if I could articulate that, it never felt anything beyond platonic. Just what a beautiful person. Well, I just wanted a girl in a pretty dress. Well, there you go. Although I dated girls in high school and I, for a while, fashioned that I was in love with Mary Thompson. Mary Thompson, what was her deal? Her deal was that she made me a miracle with chocolate cake when I was sick. <laughs> That's a girl who's trying hard. She was trying to snack you. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a mayonnaise chocolate cake. It was a miracle with chocolate cake. <laughs> That's something. That's how you know it's really from the heart. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you have a sweet tooth? Were you into it? Oh, I'm afraid I, I do have a sweet <laughs> yeah. tooth. And I was really sick with a cold. Anyways, so I dated girls off and on in high school. Mm-hmm. I, I just was, it was a long, dark winter. Yeah. And of course, you don't want to be, you can't even internalize, like internally think about what you might be. So, of course, you just, it's the path of least resistance to a certain extent. So, Trevor, I, uh, I want to share this. You can edit it out if you want. But okay. In about grade eight, I am getting sexually aware although uh-huh. i'm not identifying in any way as wanting boys or girls you know i the red-haired boy i kind of really thought on but oh yeah um i didn't know anything about sex i my family didn't give me any education and somehow i figured out pat boone was the uber source yes sexual education and do you know who pat boone was I do know, wasn't Pat Boone, wasn't he sort of a, because in my mind, he's two things. He's sort of a Christian conservative guy, but then also like was wearing leather at one point. Well, I don't know about the leather. Okay, maybe I made that part up. Well, I think he'd be perfect in leather. I think <laughs> I think Pat Boone uh, was a pop singer. Yes. Really soft, soft core pop, you know, like he 
talk about being with a girl, but not doing anything with a girl. But he wrote a book that I believe is called Love and Sex for Teenagers. Oh. And I already said I'm transparent, so nothing goes yeah, yeah, on. This is me. Don't worry, this everything goes on the show. Page 217 was how to masturbate. <laughs> and I read that until the page was falling out of the book. <laughs> Pat Pat Boone helped make you queer, it sounds like. I think Pat Boone could make you queer. <laughs> okay, so you were making it work even though you didn't know quite who you wanted to make it work with. Absolutely. And so I just sort of dated and fumbled through high school. Really, I was I wasn't very socially adept. I didn't have I I had friends. There were two guys and I who hung out together all through high school. We had fun. We we borrowed our father's cars and mm-hmm. drove to each other. We didn't have a cottage. We drove to their cottages and drank mm-hmm. rum and coke. And, you know, that's the extent of my badness. I was a badass going and drinking rum and coke. Okay. Well, yeah, you, you needed an outlet. So this was still in high school? All this was in high school. Yeah. And I was kind of a party guy. I went to all the dances. I, this was in Sudbury. The Y actually was a big place that kids went. Uh-huh. And they had a dance every weekend. I always went to the dances. Yes. Often alone. But I'd have some platonic girlfriends that I would dance with. Uh-huh. I liked to dance. Whether I was any good, I don't know. But that's the one, the guy who goes or anyone who goes to the dance alone, first of all, you look very independent and might I say badass. And you also look mysterious, which gives you street cred. Well, and I had, uh, I worked all through high school. Mm -hmm. This is a favorite part of my life and of my sex education. (laughs) I worked as a stock boy in the top drawer ladies wear in February. Oh boy. Levine's ladies wear and I worked there and I spent all of my money buying Italian sweaters and shirts and pants at the best men's wear. Oh yeah I bet you looked amazing. I well I thought I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I mean that's what counts right? (laughs) Anyway so yes you know going into the alteration room with seeing women with you could smoke inside them with long cigarette holders standing in a slip while their the hem was fixed on the dress they bought yesterday. And that you realize that's like the golden ticket guys in your high school would have, and some girls and a lot of people would have killed for. But did it trigger you or were you still just waiting to get home to Pat Boone? <laughs> it didn't trigger me. I, I have a crazy memory of unpacking boxes in the stock room and I actually didn't know what I was unpacking. They were, as they were called them, blow up falsies. So this store, <laughs> so they they were sort of like formed like a breast. Yeah. And they had a valve like an air mattress, and you blew them up to the degree of softness or hardness, and they were blow up falsies. Real quick, blow up falsy is my drag name. I'm. It's mine. I'm copywriting it now. You You're taking continue. it. I'm blow taking up it. Falsy. Blow up falsy. That's, that's a great one. Blow up falsy. And I can remember the stock manager 
chastising me stop that leave those alone but i had so much fun i thought they were hilarious you had all the materials you needed to start a drag career in high school when i think of it now i could use some of those blow up pulses. i know and i bet they're a fortune now you should have stolen them you made me queer we'll be right back and now back to more you made me queer I'm going to backtrack, actually, what I really regret missing. And my mother was very open-minded. So mm -hmm. before I graduated from elementary school in this small town, there, every winter there's a carnival. All the kids dress up. There's a costume party competition. Mm -hmm. I decide to go as a girl. Of course, my sweater is done up down the back because it's yeah, I... been popular for a long time. She's a trendy girl. Even before I met Bunny, uh, I think it was probably my mother who told me that's what I do with the sweater. Yeah. I realized I had no breasts. I was conscious of breasts. Mm -hmm. And my mother said, go into my room into the bottom left drawer. And I went into that room and there were foam rubber falsies. <gasps> she revealed her secret. She revealed her secret. So did you stuff those falsies down that sweater and went to town? I stuffed them down the sweater. They had nipples on them, I remember very clearly. Wow. My mother laughed about it and said they were fabulous. <laughs> she then told me stories about wearing those as she was small-breasted, uh -huh. which today might be considered chic, and then, yeah. but then was considered, you know, unmarriageable. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Another disappointment. Another disappointment. And so, uh, gosh, there was a lot of uh, nascent drag in my life, wasn't there? I mean, I was going to say, but also your mom sounds like quite an ally. She turned out to be. Yeah. Um, I had a difficult relationship with her for many, many years. Mm -hmm. But when I came out, my father had died. Uh, my mother said, her hand on my hand, well, honey, you know, we've had these conversations. I don't think it's a choice. Oh. And so my mother imagined herself as a modern free thinker, yeah. although she went through a period in the first year of being very troubled by it. Okay. But she's the only member of my family who ever said, when you're bringing Robert around again, I really liked him. Oh, that's so sweet. No member of my family ever said that. And uh, well, she just was an amazing woman in another time. She would have been the CEO. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is uh, interesting to think about, huh? The limitations, certainly the limitations we experience as queer people, but on, of course, on women during those periods, we're so repressed. Uh, so you must have been kind of a lifeline to her, I feel like. Someone who, even though maybe she didn't know why, someone who was not, you know, towing the standard line. She didn't tow the standard line at all. At age 16, she left her town and went to get a higher education, which for a woman then yeah. was to go to secretarial college. Right. And when she came back to her small town, she got the best job for a woman in town, yes. which was the secretary in what was then called Forest. Yes. At 16, my mother jointly bought a car with her brother. My mother died about eight years ago when she was 94. Oh, so wow. you can figure out long ago that was Trevor. But she bought a car. She was an independent woman. She was dating my father, who was worked in the bank. And there in the town that was 60 miles away, 
only decent place to go to have fun, there were dances. And my father couldn't afford to go to the dance, but he drove in the car with my mother and waited in the car while she went to the dance. Nothing was holding back by. That's so sweet. (laughs) He was the chaperone. Well, so sweet in a weird way. So I think I see a lot of my mother and me in terms of being purposeful and and eventually getting confidence to be who I am. Mm -hmm. So my mother had bigger influence on me than for many years I wanted or permitted myself to be. Oh my God. I know, right? I know exactly. I know what you mean. I can relate in some way where, especially growing up as a queer person, if you have a complicated relationship with your parents, watching parts of yourself mirror them can be really frustrating and confusing. And learning how to embrace that, I guess, is something, for better or for worse, is something you have to do at some point. And there were things that happened. This is a beautiful uh, little story. So about... I'm going to say 20 years ago, just after I came out, my mother decided she wanted to go to Vancouver one last time mm-hmm. to see her relatives and friends there. And she asked me to go along with her that she would pay for us to go first class on the train. Oh, on the train? On the train. Oh, so nice. If anybody who is listening to this has not had a long train ride with a place to sleep and all the rest. Oh, man. There's nothing like it, hey? I've taken the train from New York City to San Francisco. Oh, my remains, God. Oh, my God. I Like, you got to do it. It's three days, but it remains one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. It was a wonderful experience. So my mother and I traveled together. Beautiful things happened. We Two things that were remarkable. We passed through the town where my mother was born, the conductor announced that the oldest passenger on the train was born in this town. Oh. People flocked to us. Shout out Vi. Shout out Vi. <laughs> and then the other thing, Trevor, this is accurate and unbelievable. Hmm. There were five other single men traveling with their mothers on that. Amazing. And it was was gay central. I was just going to say, I wasn't, I didn't know what you were implying, but I was like, and were there any like furtive glances on the way to the men's room? Of course. Yes. And first class on the national train is at the end where the, we have the bar car at the end that was curved. And we'd all sit in there with our legs crossed, smoking cigarettes. I think we could smoke then. I can't remember. Sure. Maybe not smoking, but sipping on drinks and eyeing each other. Uh, with like, you know, the Canadian Rockies ah. whizzing past you. What a glorious <laughs> moment. It's the only thing that whizzed, my friend, were the Rockies. <laughs> I mean, you, t- you take what you can get. You can't have it all. <laughs> hmm. Oh, that's so great. That's kind of rambling back and forth of some of my No, I think that's pretty good. So I just want to, for the sake of the archive, let's double back. So we started with the trim athletic physique of the piano teacher's husband. <laughs> and then we sort of segued into uh, the French teacher. The French teacher and the, and the red ginger boy are, are happening at the same time. Yes. So that's, you've got it from all sides of just well-dressed gentlemen in trim physique, some of whom you are sharing a shower head with. And Tom, of course, was a football player, right? Like, oh, come on. How can you resist that? Tom and Bunny. 
<laughs> and then in walks on page, what was it, 214, Pat Boone? Pat Boone, teaching me how to masturbate. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Hats off, Pat Boone. Hats off to that. Where do you get that book? From the library? Oh, no. The only place to get a book in a little town was to buy it from the drugstore. But who sold you that book? Didn't they raise eyebrows? Well, I certainly imagined they were going to. I took that book off the rack numerous times and went to buy it. And I think it was, for me, quite expensive, probably a dollar sixty-five. And so, however, I was acquiring money. I had the money to buy it, but I was, I don't know, numerous times I took it off the rack and went to buy it and put it back. You chickened out. Chickened out. Yeah. Or I'd buy a coconut chocolate bar to pretend I wasn't really there for the book. <laughs> also, I just happened I mean, to see it. <laughs> a man has many needs. Sex and sugar. How can you choose? <laughs> I want both, quite frankly. Uh, so we at the whiz, same time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, please, you're not the boss of me. So we whiz past Pat Boone and you know some wandering hands, and then the next step was: Would you say? Well, I want to say your mother, kind of giving you access to whoa, falsy, blow up falsies. Well, that that, that happened early, earlier. So before the French teacher and Tom were the falsies. Okay. So, okay. but then I'm roaring through high school. My mother now is more apt because she's a social climber. Oh. She's the chairman of the hospital board. She's the chairman of her church's women's group. Mm-hmm. She is convening a dinner for 25,000 people. <laughs> She, my, this is why I say she'd be a CEO. Yeah. Wow. So I just sort of wandered through high school on, on my own eating cheese and jam sandwiches, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to paint my life as overly beautiful. No, I hear what you're so saying. It was pretty mundane. So you did that. You uh, you took care of yourself there, and then you eventually got yourself to the big city. And then uh, and then I imagine a whole lot of things made you queer. But any anything we've missed? that you want to add in? Well, I, I think I need to bookend the uh, red sequin bodice dress. Please do. Uh, a woman who definitely had eyes for me, graduation ball from university, de rigueur, everybody has to go, white top. And she wears a black slinky dress <laughs> split up to her armpit with no back and no strap. Oh, yes. And she wants me to take that dress off. We're in university, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want none of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going there. Did you know by that point you didn't want it? I, I wouldn't say that I was as evolved as that, Trevor. Mm-hmm. I really sublimated all of my sexuality. I, it's not the best part of my evolution as a human being because I, I, I couldn't deal with it. There's no shame in it. I mean, of course, like, especially the, the, the era, the climate. Exactly. So I came to Toronto. I got a job in a trust company. I met a woman there and finally had sex with somebody. With that that woman. was your first time. Yeah. And uh, I certainly thought I was in love with her, but she threw me off for another guy. Mm. And I just said, well, that's it. I, I don't really want to do that anyway, I don't think. <laughs> and I met the woman who became my wife through my best friend who worked at the same company I did. Mm-hmm. She was a, a great woman in many ways. And uh, I thought the world of her. 
and uh, we decided to live together, and then we decided to get married, and that sort of was history for 25 years. We had two kids. I climbed the corporate ladder. We bought houses. We bought cars uh, all along, and my former wife knows this. I'm thinking uh, she knows this now. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking I am in the wrong but once once that whole thing is set in motion, it's you know you're in it. It must have felt like there was no nothing you could do. Uh, there was nothing I could do. So, do you, do you want me to take you to when I came out? I w- I would love to hear the story if you want to tell it. So, uh, I will probably be emotional. We were watching the news. We always had drinks and watched the news. And the news of Matthew Shepard. No. Oh, it changed my life. And my wife said, Why are you crying? It's a young man that's got children, man. And I couldn't say it. Yeah. I felt I would, if I continued to live the way I was, I would dishonor him. And I sat down and wrote an eight page, I had a computer, but a hand wrote an eight page. I guess you'd call it a sexual history. Some of the things I've mentioned were in that history. And I finished it by saying, if there is a God, she wants me to be who I am. So you wrote that, those eight pages, and then you gave it to your wife? No. No. no, no. That was for you. That was just for me. Hmm. It was my version of, of therapy without actually reaching out for therapy. Right, because the first thing you had to do was come out to yourself. And through that time, I'm in conflict all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. Looking at men, uh, never, ever touching a man, no extramarital anything. Please do not give me a gold star. I was terrified of myself, absolutely terrified. And uh, I don't know this, whether you know this, it's kind of an interesting Evolution. Five years ago, I became part of the Youth Elders Project at Buddies in Bad Times, which is the biggest, longest running queer theater in the country. A total icon. Total icon. I was select. I went to some theater workshops, and I mm-hmm. found out they were thinking, "What could we do?" Younger people, older people, and it that became the Youth Elders Project. I was one of the. I would now call myself an artist, one of the people at the time that was selected to collaborate and invent that. Mm. And there is a segment in that show which represented many, many conversations. There is a group in Toronto and many other places called Gay Fathers, and it's a a peer support group. At that time, they had an 800 number, and I called that 800 number numerous times. over the years and typically the question was how do you know you're gay like where's the checklist yeah you know how can i self-diagnose yeah yeah so there there was a component in the youth elders project in which i am alone on the stage by then i've taken off the sports jacket i had there is a light shining directly on my head there is a person at the far end of the stage there's a dialogue that goes on that represents those phone conversations. The theater goes black, except the light on me gets intense mm. until it's almost like limelight. And every night it was different, but every night it was the same. 
I break down every night and say thank you. I don't think I'm gay. That went on for years. So, um, Matthew Shepard, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I have two kids who are in their early 40s now. We're all sitting around having cocktails. And I say, I don't know. What do you think I'm gay? I'm gay. I said, I thought it was fun. I thought the waiter was cute. Mm-hmm. And I like to give credit to my daughter, who I'm very close to. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so it was one of those nights. This only happened a couple of times. What do you think of my gay? And my daughter said, oh, stop. I don't <laughs> give a damn. If you're gay, you're gay. Just live your life. And did that, getting that, I mean, not that you need permission, but getting that uh, affirmation, how did that feel? Beautiful. Um, and it was within three weeks that I ended the marriage. Uh, we have always been a close family, even though our kids were young adults. They were 19 and 21 at the time. We all lived together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, my daughter said, fuck off. I don't give a damn. Who are you? <laughs> I like her. Could I have another drink, please? Yeah, like, please. It was, it was, <laughs> Stop killing and, the vibe of the party. Just come out and let's get another round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I am very, very close to my kids. Yeah. Wow. They sound fantastic. A person can't be close to their kids and go through a life transformation unless they were always close to their kids, in my view. Hmm. My daughter sat on my lap and I brushed her hair while we watched cartoons. My son and I drew together. You do not get that when you're adults if it didn't occur when the children were in their formative years. And I took being a dad as to be, and I still think it is, mm-hmm. the most important job I will ever have. That's, I mean, those kids are lucky to have you and especially lucky to have you as you not pretending to be anyone you're not or not getting to explore who you really are, but you as your authentic self. And the fact that they asked for that is, I think, really beautiful from their perspective, too. So my son has moved to a small town outside of Toronto. And so in a couple of weeks, my daughter and I are going up to spend the weekend with him and go to a county fair. Mm. I found a lovely little rural building, freestanding building with two bedrooms in it, an Airbnb thing. So my daughter and I will stay there. My son will stay in his place. We found out the fair wasn't going to be such a big thing. Mm-hmm. So I said to both of my kids, do you still want to go? Well, we'll still have fun. <laughs> yes. Start the party. Bring the party with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll still have fun. And uh, my son has a friend who owns a restaurant. And I said, has uh, Peter ever had any entertainment in this restaurant? I don't know. I'll ask him. Peter, my dad's a drag queen. What do you think? Would you like to have a show in your restaurant? And Peter said, yes. Yes. So you are going to straight up Priscilla Queen of the Desert hop in that little VW bus. <laughs> you watch my Instagram because we'll be announcing the next big show in Flesherton. Yes. Flesherton is not ready for what you're about to deliver. (laughs) And I want to leave us with that suspense and excitement uh, because I could honestly talk to you for ages, but we are running out of time. You know, it's been nice talking with you. You're welcome anytime to have another jab about something else. Oh my God, I'm going to hold you to that. And I demand this same amount of glitter surrounding you when we do. But Brian, before I let you go, would you like to play a quick game? 
oh, I heard you do that to people on other shows. And I uh, will do my best just because you're the host with the most. So <laughs> let's go for it, but be kind to me. Always. I like your spirit. I'm sure it's going to be painless. Don't worry. <laughs> so this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. Queerer. The rules are very simple. I'm going to give you three things. You're going to put them in order in your interpretation from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay, pick things I know. <laughs> well, let's say, I think, I think we're going to be okay. I've already picked the list, but if something is totally out of your wheelhouse, you let me know. It's from the clearest to the least queer, okay. Well, for dramatic tension, may I suggest you start with least queer to the most queer. Least queer to the most queer. Build the story. Drum roll. Yes. Yes. What kind of a star am I? My sound system is broken. I'll (laughs) do one in post. I'll do one in post. It's going to be beautiful. Okay. So thing number one, the good ship lollipop, which I found out is actually a plane, but I had always thought was a ship, like a sea ship. Anyway, so we have the concept, the fictional concept of the good ship lollipop. Got it. Sung by Shirley Temple, of course. Thing number two. Starlight Express. Do you know Starlight Express? Roller skating uh, Broadway show. You got it from the 80s Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, uh, basically about a bunch of trains who race on roller skates. Thing number three, Noah's Ark. (laughs) Noah's Ark. Of course, we all know Noah's Ark. Things are paired up and brought on for a perilous uh, sea voyage to escape Armageddon and God's wrath. Least. Yeah, so I'll recap for you real quick. Good Ship Lollipop, Starlight Express, Noah's Ark, Least Queer to Most Queer. I would say that uh, Noah's Ark is the least queer. (laughs) The most fantastical story, though, it was a bit of a struggle because I... It all seems kind of homoerotic. Yeah. In a, in, a, in a way, it seems very homoerotic. Like in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> Cabin fever. I think I've, I'd say Noah's Ark is the least queer. Okay. I would say the good ship lollipop is the next most queer. I don't want to be perverted here with a little girl singing song. Okay. But it, now it's implied. Now it's implied. <laughs> um, it's just all fantasy and prettiness and yeah. glitzy, maybe like my background a little bit. Yeah. Like I, feel, I feel like it is freer. I feel like it's more a representation of uh, or a manifestation of imagination. Mm. And since every character I create and I have several characters I play and I, they each have their own wheelhouse. So I like, uh, I would say that's the second. And so I guess I have to make uh, all those roller skating boys and girls the queerest. I mean, I listen, I have zero objections. Uh, Starlight Express is, is truly gay making in every capacity. So gay. So gay. Why are you roller skating everywhere? Boys in tight silver pants. It's not gay. <laughs> Please. And women uh, and Andrew Lloyd, everything Andrew Lloyd Webber touches becomes camp, in my opinion. He Isn't he 
I don't know what history is going to say about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're going to have to see afterwards. If you were an Andrew Lloyd Webber fan, were you on the wrong side of history? Right. I would say yes. I would say I'm not a fan. Not a fan? Well, I don't I have a soft spot. Phantom for of the Opera didn't blow you away? You know what? I'll tell you in a story in a second. Uh, first, I am here for Evita. I did love Joseph. I will tell you. One time I was with a gentleman and uh, it was sort of a date and, you know, we were kind of getting close and having a romantic time. And do you know what song he put on? What? So it's like the mood is just right. He's like, let me put on some music. (laughs) And it's all I ask of you from Phantom of the Opera, which has like, I don't know how you perform to that. (laughs) Basically, I I will. I know you want to wrap this. I'll leave you with a worse song for a mood. Okay. So I rare, even though I went to lots of bars when it came out, I didn't very often uh, connect with anybody, but in this case I did. And I brought a guy home mm-hmm. and things are hot and heavy. And I think, what do I want to put in? Something mellow, maybe sort of. And so I throw Nora Jones on. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is back in CD time. Okay. But the first song that plays is don't know why I didn't come. <laughs> I tell you, it killed the whole night. I mean, there's the prophecy. Nora knew what was up. Nora knew it wasn't going to happen. She wanted this guy to leave me. And so he left. Also, the meta irony is that Nora's why you didn't come. She does know why. It's her. <laughs> you solved a mystery tonight, Brian. And for that, I am, among other things, very grateful. Well, I'm excited. Yes. So thank you so much. I It was such a treat to talk with you. I'm such a fan. And I know everyone who hears this will be too. So Anything to plug? Where can people find out what's next? They should follow my Instagram, at Miss Joanna DeWitt. I post all of my performances and shows there. My next actual streaming appearance will be on Glad Day TV uh, on the first Sunday of September, where my guests will be Catherine Jones, founder of the Bi Arts Festival. Yes. And Nikki Kim, the reigning empress of. Tripod in Toronto is my performance. Yes. I don't go low. I <laughs> go high. Who's got time to go low these days? The world is ending. I do not know. And then maybe my next will be a yet-to-be-announced appearance in Washington. That's right. So, I mean, people just go. Just go. Rent the zip car and go. And also, an important distinction I want to make, Juana is spelled J U W A. N-N-A. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Juana. So that when you say Juana Dwit. You get it? It sounds exactly like it's meant to sound wink, wink. You get it, every. You get it, Nora Jones? And if you happen to see a billing for Mr. Dirk Dewitt, that's Juana's brother. He's a stripper. He makes <laughs> rare appearances. His last recorded appearance was the window of Blood Day Bookstore prior to Oh, but he might appear there again. I mean, get your binoculars and you keep your eyes. What are you implying? You don't need binoculars, <laughs> jerk. Hold them, hold them backwards, or just. <laughs> I'm implying nothing. I'm implying nothing. Uh, get your get your camera. How about that? Get your camera. Get your damn camera. So listen, Brian uh, slash Juana, this was an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. And I do want to tell you. I was pretty queer when this conversation started, but talking to you and looking at this backdrop has made me queerer than ever. I am so glad. And if you need help with your set, you know where to go. No question. 
<laughs> okay, you stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Queer, queer, queer. Queer, 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 queer. Queer, 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 queer. Okay, baby cakes, that is our show. As always, I love to hear from you. You can make me hear you at youmademequeer at gmail.com. Send an email, why don't ya? Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Do you know why? I always tell you why. I'm not going to insult your intelligence. Also, bit of fun news that I'm backloading. My brother and his partner had a baby yesterday. How wonderful. Such is life. So a huge congratulations to them. And this is my official announcement that I am simultaneously an uncle, a gunkle, and a funkle. Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more from music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday, and we're brought to you by the fine folks at the Sonar Network. And from the bottom of my big, bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.